Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from Rabbi Ellie Kompfer. Let's listen in. How do we relate to our enemies through prayer? Can we pray for their failure? Might we ever pray for their welfare? After God strikes down the firstborn sons of Egypt, Pharaoh sends away the children of Israel. But he adds, as a final statement to Moshe and Aaron, a request. Uverachtem gam oti. Also, bless me. Exodus 12.32 What is Pharaoh asking for? Perhaps, as Rashi claims, he is afraid that as a firstborn male, he might yet die, and he is asking for immediate relief from this plague. Or perhaps, as Ramban claims, he is afraid of further punishment beyond this plague and wants Moshe and Aaron to pray for his general safety. But either way, Pharaoh is asking Moshe and Aaron to pray for his welfare. Strikingly, some view Pharaoh's request for prayer from Moshe and Aaron as unconnected to the immediate moment of the final plague. Instead, Pharaoh wants them to pray for him at the high point of the Jewish people's encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Why would Pharaoh need a prayer at the revelation at Sinai, since he had already drowned in the sea? There is a Midrashic tradition that Pharaoh, in fact, did not drown at the sea, but rather survived and became the king of Nineveh. The prophet Yonah comes to foretell the city's imminent doom because of their sinning ways. But instead of rejecting God's warning, Pharaoh leads his people in public repentance, modeling for the entire Jewish people on Yom Kippur, when we read the book of Yonah, how tshuva is meant to be done. Pharaoh, as king of Nineveh, not only asks for forgiveness, but musters his nation to do the same, quite an about-face for our worst enemy who previously led his nation to enslave and then attack the Jewish people. How did Pharaoh achieve this personal transformation? The Nitziv, noting that Pharaoh survived the sea, goes so far as to say that Moshe and Aaron did pray for Pharaoh at Sinai. Perhaps Moshe and Aaron's prayer for Pharaoh at Sinai helped him begin a journey toward repentance. In fact, Praying for our enemies to return to the right path is an important, if oft-forgotten, part of our liturgical tradition. In the daily Amidah, we find a specific blessing focused on our enemies. On its face, we are asking for their destruction. Quote, And for the slanderers, let there be no hope. And may all evil, or evildoers, perish in an instant. And may all your enemies speedily be cut off. And the insolent kingdom, Malchut Zadon, speedily uproot, smash, cast down, and subdue it, speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Hashem, who breaks enemies and subdues willful sinners. The textual history of this blessing is colorful, and there are many different versions of the words in the prayer. But the overall approach is clear. We are asking God to destroy our enemies. The instinct to pray against enemies is an ancient one and perhaps one of the oldest aspects of the Amida itself. In a world where evil is rampant, I do believe it is appropriate to recognize evil forces and pray that they not harm us. And yet, there is another approach to praying for the neutralizing of evildoers, praying for them to do tshuva. 
Indeed, this is clear in an alternative version to the above blessing from the ancient Land of Israel tradition of the Amidah. It reads, For the destroyed ones, may there be no hope, if they do not return to your Torah, im lo yashuvu Torah This version of the blessing makes explicit this important caveat. Our prayers for destruction only apply in a case where the evildoer is not engaged in a process of repentance and return. Our current prayer against enemies does not state this exception explicitly, but Rabbi David Abudraham, one of the foremost commentators on the Sidur, understands this as the implied context of our blessing. He writes, May all the meaning be destroyed in an instant. This is only in a case where they didn't want to do tshuva, repentance. For if they want to do tshuva, we receive them. For there is nothing that stands in the way of tshuva. In his commentary to this blessing of the Amidah, Rabbi David Abudraham limits the applicability of the prayer for the destruction of evildoers to cases where they refuse to repent. But if they do repent, as the above Midrashic tradition about Pharaoh suggests, we accept them because tshuva is more powerful than anything. In the course of my own prayer life, I have sometimes felt uncomfortable about praying against enemies. But in the last few years, my resolve to ask God to intervene to root out evildoers has increased. We live in a world where evil is present, people want to do physical harm to the Jewish people, and we cannot ignore that threat in our prayers. At the same time, I also think about the courage that it took for Moshe and Aaron to pray on behalf of Pharaoh even after all he had done to them and their people. I ask myself, can I imagine a world in which our enemies truly repent? And could I pray for that world to come soon? After all, Pharaoh's second act as the king of Nineveh is a model not just for personal repentance, but for the power of such repentance to impact entire nations. Perhaps that is the ultimate vision of our hope for our enemies— that they transform into models of righteousness that even we, the original object of their evil ways, can learn from. And even though that is very difficult to imagine, that is the power of prayer, to imagine an almost unattainable world and ask God to help bring it to fruition. Shabbat Shalom. Our producers for this podcast are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to David Chabinski for editing this episode. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.